Hi, Eve. Hi, Burl. How are you today? Well, you're the Eve of destruction here. I sure am. <laughs> I'm a force to be reckoned with. No kidding. I'm surprised you haven't been bumped off. But you've been uh, pretty close. I have had people threaten, and uh, I certainly have had people try to put a target on my back. Yeah. Hey, Eve, it's Howard. How come? Because I am, I've got the backbone and courage to stand up and tell the truth. And it's not pretty truth, and people don't like it coming out, but... That's the way it is. Well, especially if you're dealing with revealing uh, secrets and things of people whose entire life is based around presenting one public image and keeping all sorts of secrets well, very, let's, very Let's secret. get to the core of the story. Uh, let's do that. It all starts, I'll give them just the same standard uh, opening you've heard on every radio show she's been on. Joan Webster arrived at Logan Airport Saturday, 11 Massive multi-state search ensued when she disappeared after leaving the airport. Her remains were found buried in Hamilton, uh, Massachusetts, in April of 1990. Now, which is really fascinating because, as we'll find out, people were saying, oh, she was thrown off of a boat. Uh, this whole story uh, just is too bizarre. And your connection to it is you were Joan's sister-in-law, am I correct? That's right. I was married to her brother. Well, weren't you a lucky woman? I thought so at the time, but uh, I've learned differently. So, uh, where were you when you found out that your sister-in-law has suddenly disappeared? We resided in Illinois and uh, just north of Chicago. We received a call about three days after the event, uh, and she happened to have disappeared the same night I had a miscarriage. So I was still hemorrhaging and and got the second wave of bad news. Oh. You say event. What do you mean by that? The event, she means the person disappearing. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, That's why I asked her the question. Sorry. Go ahead. But it's funny to refer to it as an event. Just sounds well. It was a trauma. It was a tragedy. I mean, we were in a state of shock. Uh, you don't expect somebody to go missing out of your life. Uh, she had just spent Thanksgiving at home in New Jersey. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, she's disappeared. Nobody knows where she is. Now let's back up just a little bit. Let's set a bit of, a bit of the family dynamics here at Thanksgiving. Okay. Now she goes to school in Boston. Right. She was a graduate student at Harvard. And she has a sister. Correct. She has a sister uh, who also at that time lived in Boston. And she could have gone back to Boston with her sister the following day. Absolutely. She but went she back didn't. a day early. For some reason, she goes back a day early, takes a flight, and never seen again. Right. It is strange that she didn't go back with her sister, but what strikes me even more strange is her father gives a total BS reason on why she flies back early. That's exactly uh, objection right. leading the witness. I'm leading the leading the guest. But Sarah, what was the reason, bro? Well, uh, and, uh, go ahead, Eve. Tell how the fact, Eve, the fact that Eve is here, you know, yeah, but I'd like to hear from Eve. Go ahead. It, w- it was a totally BS explanation, but everybody accepted it because the father was the one giving it. Uh, he explained that she went back early so she could work on a project. She was in the architectural program, uh, but the fact of the matter was was that she had presented an 11-week project uh, just prior to leaving for the break. She gave it before the break. She did not have a project that was coming due. So, so this is this is your father-in-law? This was my father-in-law, George Webster. Okay, and he comes up with some cock-and-bull story, which everybody knows is a cock-and-bull well, story. Well, they don't know it's a cock-and-bull story yet. Well, they bought it, and yeah. later they found out that, you know, what he so was telling So the you. very first question I would raise is, if someone gives me a BS answer on why something happened, to me that means they know the real reasons it happened. I would say that that's probably a very good indicator. I would agree with you. So what does he know that we don't know? George Webster uh, is an extremely intelligent man, and uh, he was involved in this investigation right from the get-go. Uh, you know, 
from a public perspective. People saw them. They were visible in the press. Uh, You had an answer for everything. And they are a very likable family, a very strong image that they present, uh, and people take them at face value. What What did George do for a living? Okay. At the time, he was an executive with ITT. His background prior to that, uh, as well as Eleanor, the mother, uh, both of them had been in the CIA. So we're talking about smart people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the time Joan disappeared, uh, George was with the um, telecommunications division of ITT in Nutley, New Jersey, who had really just come off of, oh, you know, some serious issues with the government. Uh, they had uh, been an undercover firm for the CIA uh, with political issues in Chile. and uh, yeah, There's a lot of that in Chile, that's for damn sure. Yeah, and uh, they became part of an investigation uh, by the Church Senate Committee, uh, really digging into uh, improper activities and undermining the uh, government and elections in Chile, which uh, put Augusto Pinochet in power. When did George leave ITT? Oh, boy. I believe he retired from ITT in the early 1990s. He, he stayed there, you know, for many, many years following. Howard, do you know any of these people? Well, um, the fact that I sold my company to ITT in 84, and it was a major telecommunications firm, I now remember why I know this name. Yeah. This is bizarre. This George is... Webster was the uh, director for budget and planning for the Defense Department within that division. So he was in an, an extremely integral position, uh, which impacted, you know, the things that were going on with the government. He was uh, one of, I think, six guys that had to sign off on the sale. Yeah. That's bizarre. I have to go home now. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. It's a part of my life that we never talk about. But but my goodness, wow. Small uh, world after it's, all. Uh, yeah, now uh, there's a lot of things that just came together, and I've got some questions, but I may not be able to ask them. Uh, <laughs> wow. Okay, sorry, Eve. Sorry to not pull- a problem. Yeah, but uh, George Webster at ITT and me at ITT, um, it's pretty interesting. Anyway, so uh, there's one, everything looks fine on the outside. The minute I heard that... He says a reason for her to go back that is not true that immediately tells me he knows the real reason she went back. Absolutely. But then and the question was, why? What, what, what transpired that motivated her to want to get the hell out of there? As I, as I went back and kind of went through this process, really looking at this step by step by step, there were things that the family said that I was not fully aware of. For example that explanation. I was not aware that that was what they were promoting through the press until I was able to get to some documents, both media reports as well as police reports that were stating that she had gone back early for this reason. Everybody out there, they're just believing the father. Here he is. He's out there trying to, uh, you know, find his daughter. Uh, I knew for a fact that she had just completed that project. I just talked to her earlier in the week about it. She'd gotten high marks for it. So people were taking him at face value. Nobody was there to dispute his explanations. And, of course, the rest of the family, you know, chimed in and piped in right behind it. Why she would go back early, uh, there's some things that also had been missed by the media or at least not been tied together properly. When I received the call that uh, Joan went missing, I remembered that Eleanor was the only one that was home. Joan or uh, George was out of town. I remembered that independently, but that's not something you can really necessarily base suspicions on, et cetera. But the other thing that I learned, and I was able to go back to media reports, that he actually affirmed that he was out of town and had taken a trip that weekend. Um, he stated to California. I don't know that that was ever corroborated. This family was never looked at uh, with regards to uh, the murder investigation. They just assumed the family was in New Jersey, the daughter went missing, and here they are. They're out there trying to help. So there were pieces that I was able to start to pull together and corroborate my own memories based on what was in actual records. And the more you did this, the more people got pissed off at you. Oh, I got a lot of people that are really pissed off at me. 
Um, I've got people that have threatened. They've put a target on my back, and that includes the authorities. They are absolutely uh, determined to keep me quiet. Uh, I went out to make a victim impact statement at a parole hearing for the snitch that the state used uh, and put forth a bogus story about what happened to Joan, claiming she was thrown off a boat. And um, they blocked me from making that statement. I've tried to make FOIA requests. They claim the case is still open. They claim there's, which it is, technically it is still an open case, but they claim that uh, they're investigating it. Um, and they're throwing daggers my way like nobody's business. So, tell us, uh, if you would, and we'll help sell your book, believe me, but tell us, if you would, the story as you see it. The story as I see it, and I've gone back extensively through all, all, a wide variety of records to really put this together. Basically, the state uh, picked out a, a vulnerable patsy. Uh, he was a man who had a record. He had been um, convicted and was went to prison for a few years on an assault charge. He was out on parole. He became a suspect in a 1979 cold case murder. What they did was uh, a friend of one of the cops who was involved in this case placed an anonymous call. That woman has confirmed that she made that call, and she named this man that she grew up with, grew up with Leonard Paradiso, uh, implicated him for the 1979 murder and also for Joan's disappearance. Uh, the 1979 murder, Leonard Paradiso had been a suspect. Uh, but not the prime suspect. The boyfriend was the prime suspect. And they um, they just started to pile on. They spent a year before this man's name came out in relationship to Joan. They dug up dirt. I found I recovered warrants that were supposed to be for the Iannuzzi case where they were trying to find evidence to try and create a case against him for Joan. Let's back up. How come sure. what really happened? What really happened to Joan or what yeah. really happened to What really to happened to Joan and why do they have to set up a patsy? Because the family has secrets. Uh, this and family absolutely went and, uh, you know, they to this day support that Joan was murdered on a boat. And I found through court records that the boat did not even exist when Joan disappeared. Why? What's, the, what's the family in it? What's in it for them? The family has major league secrets. Not only are we talking about their background, uh, and these are things that I didn't know at the time. I thought I was married into a very nice family. Uh, but they are not an honest family. You can't take them at face value. What I learned through the course of time, and after my I had children and uh, my children became older, there were issues of abuse that began to surface. Not and just talking, abuse. Let's yeah. move beyond that. Okay. <laughs> it's more than that. I'm going to cut to the chase here. Incest is multi-generational. Yeah. And you had a situation where you discovered allegations of your husband, who was Joan's brother, of allegedly sexually uh, being active with your own children. That is correct. My research into this topic, and I did write a, a book about it myself. <laughs> Not that I'm here to plug my book, of course. And what is the name of that book? We're <laughs> always here to plug your book. <laughs> Head, Headshot is okay. the name of that book. So, sorry, you, but when, when, when this happens, I have to stop. I have to yeah. let him get his promo in. <laughs> okay, let's get but back no, to the point. The point is, is that if this is a multi generational thing. If he's doing it, most likely, odds are that his father or mother or both were sexually inappropriate with their children as well. Okay, there's no news there. So, no. so, so let's let's follow the bouncing ball through this family. Let's follow the bouncing ball. Uh, the first red flag was the, the father having a BS reason why she left. That's correct. Now let's go on the unfortunate assumption that the father had been sexually inappropriate with Joan and perhaps her other sister, her sister as well. And that uh, Joan gets sick and tired of this, and there is some sort of implosion or explosion at the family get-together over Thanksgiving. Maybe she's going to blow the whistle. Uh, maybe she's going to out everything. Maybe she's going to take legal action. Who knows? Isn't Thanksgiving traditionally like turkey and stuffing? And uh, Yeah, well, I think there's some stuffing going on here. That, <laughs> sorry. A I lot of stuffing. A lot of stuffing. Well, you know, when you talk about victims of that nature... There are very often triggers. You know, if that kind of memory has been suppressed, there are triggers. The trigger here is pretty identifiable. 
I was pregnant. And, uh, you know, I can very well see Joan and, and the person that I knew her to be uh, wanting to give me a heads up on just what went on in this family. But she's uh, at that time about 20, 21 years old, right? She was 25. I was close. So, yep. so, and this was still going on, allegedly, between her and her father. Yeah, I, that I couldn't tell, tell you because I wasn't there. Um, I can only tell you what the signs are, you know, what has happened, what surfaced with my children. Uh, there are very strong indicators of abuse all through the family. Okay. So um, she goes missing at age 25. George has got what we now know is a cock and bull story yep. about her going back early. What really happened is there was probably a fight, you know, over the asparagus. And and um, Thanksgiving was uh, a not a pleasant occasion, as in a lot of cases it never is. But um, that's probably the truth. Am I am I touching on it? I think you're definitely hitting it. Okay, so so she steps off the plane, and, and we know that she was kind of seen in the baggage claim area. That's right. The way the story went, as far as the way the authorities promoted it, was that uh, she saw a couple people she knew at, uh, you know, the luggage carousel, waved, and then basically vanished into the night. When I got into the records, I found that wasn't the case at all. Uh, a new story had been suppressed uh, through folks at ITT, uh, who they themselves got involved in this investigation. There had been a report that Joan was seen uh, talking to a man behind a counter at Logan Airport. Then what I also learned, which I had never known before, was that there actually was a cabbie that had come forward and uh, was able to give a description to compile a composite of a man that Joan was seen with, a bearded man at Logan Airport. And uh, that's the end of And she gets in the car with him. Yep, and uh, that composite was suppressed. And then we find out eventually who that guy was. I can. I've got. I've got the composite, and I've got the photo right next to it. And boy, oh boy, if that's not him, then he's got a twin out there. Who? Who are we talking about? Uh, the individual that it's been compared to was the the uh, Massachusetts State Trooper that became the lead officer in the investigation, and his name was Andrew Palumbo. Uh, he was an undercover cop, bearded, long hair, had different looks at different times. Uh, the time I met him, he was clean cut. But uh, the images that I have compared to the composite, it's right on. What did, he, what did he want with her? He would not have been the one to do anything to her individually. Um, but certainly he was in tandem and worked closely with the family through all of this. And we're talking about a very corrupt period in uh, Boston's history. It, this was a real corrupt There's no period such thing as a non-corrupt period. <laughs> yeah, and, and, yeah. And, and that's not a joke. Yeah. It's, um, you know, this was somebody who all the court records indicate show he was not telling the truth. I can identify him as a confidential source who was giving false information to the FBI about the case. Uh, and I can detail specifics. And I guarantee... <clears throat> Everything I've come forward with is backed up by documents. Who killed Joan? Allegedly. I couldn't tell you whether it was George Webster or Andrew Palumbo that uh, were there and who did what in swinging. They accused a man named Leonard Paradiso, who was a... That was a setup. Yeah, he was an eighth grade dropout. Yeah. Uh, well, we can just forget about him because he didn't yeah. do it. Yeah, he didn't do it. He but uh, but uh, so you think uh, is is George still alive? George is still alive. So you think George um, may have may have uh, had somebody, or George himself may have had somebody do it? Because over Thanksgiving dinner, she said she's getting out. Of, she's out of here, and she's going to out him once and for all. I definitely think that they are the two to look at. Those are the two that are on the list, and that is where all the evidence points to George and to Palumbo. George and Andrew Palumbo. But Palumbo's a cop, yes? Palumbo was a Massachusetts State Trooper, undercover, assigned to F. Barracks at Logan Airport. So it's... How would know, they have come together? George and Andrew Palumbo? Yeah. George would have had the connection. Uh, George was very well connected. You're talking about a very prominent individual. Uh, he actually had ties to the Boston area. His father 
at one point had been a CEO of a company based out of Waltham, Massachusetts, uh, called Standard Thompson. They are, you know, well-connected. He had influence. Uh, people looked at him as, you know, authoritative and Plus, uh, he had the whole CIA background connections going So you're there. saying easy to buy a cop? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, easy, easy, to buy to a cop, easy to buy a cop in Boston. Yeah. But they and, have them on you know, sale on the weekends. Yeah. Well, well it's, back, it's a block from Charlestown. Yeah. You should try the Father's Day specials. Yeah. And back then, they had a, I mean, <laughs> they had a full assortment to select from. Well, the FBI office at the, in the, at the same time was, uh, was even worse. Yeah. The, arguably the uh, most corrupt FBI office ever. They were working and, for Whitey Bulger. Yes. Yeah. And they, they had, uh, you know, they were involved in this case as well. I yeah. got stacks of FBI oh, we got, records. We got lots of stuff to cover. Yeah. Well, yeah. listen, we're going to take a 60-second break to shuffle through the depositions, and we'll be right back with Eve Carson, author of the book Mommy's a Mole. We'll find out about that, too, when we get back on True Crime Uncensored. Stay with us. This is Zach Gustine, and if you own a cell phone, and we know you do, or ride a plastic pony in front of Albertsons, you are no longer tied to your computer. You are now safe to roam while Barstow's burning and take Outlaw Radio with you everywhere you go. Grab an Outlaw Radio app from RadioLoyalty.com. The smoking, drinking, interrupting 24-hour party that you follow now follows you. Your cell phone or Apple device is now the easiest way to stay connected with your friends on Outlaw Radio. You know the demons of decadence. Change the way you listen to radio seven days a week. Now available free at RadioLoyalty.com. Just punch in Outlaw Radio. See that, Mart? You stay on script. circus music and i thought boy that that sounds like something he'd play behind me when i'm talking about myself and i'm absolutely right <laughs> excuse me uh before we get back to uh, true crime uncensored and talk about mommy's a mole i just like to remind you that my entire life and livelihood depends on you either sending me money via paypal or buying my books you're cordially invited to do both <laughs> actually the paypal's quicker <laughs> Just uh, buy all my books. I understand my best-selling book, the New York Times bestseller, Murder in the Family, is going to be remaindered in about three months, so now's the time to buy it. <laughs> Isn't that right, Howard? Howard says, yes, it is. So actually, you could go on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or Libris or Books a Million and just uh, put in my name, Burl, B-U-R-L, Bearer, B-A-R-E-R, and buy all my books as soon as humanly possible, even if you're completely illiterate, owning them bespeaks volumes of your intelligence and erudition. Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I want more. I didn't supply the microphone. Welcome back to True Crime Uncensored, the standard of a beleaguered and tempest-tossed broadcast industry on Outlaw Radio. I am the legendary Burl Bearer. got Howard Lapidus, manager of the star and former co-conspirator with uh, ITT. <laughs> Mark C.G. Boyer, our fact-checker who... Just printed out 8,000 volumes of material about this case, courtesy of, uh, of Eve Carson, who wrote the book Mommy's a Mole. Ma the mom, uh, uh, Mark and I were asking, who's the mommy, who's the mole? Uh, Eve is the uh, the mommy, she's the mole. Here's the deal. Yeah. Real quick, and Eve, pardon me for one second, okay? I, I'm gonna, sure. We'll make, we'll make up your time for you somehow. Hey, Burl, yeah. on that PayPal thing you got going? Yeah. <laughs> Mark and I don't get a piece of that? Oh, of course you do. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like a third, a third, a third? Sure, of course. Okay. Hey, Eve. Yeah. <laughs> you want in on that? It's a quarter, a quarter? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, okay. Okay. Absolutely. All right. Just, I, I just want to make sure I protect everybody. <laughs> in fact, uh, um, Burl has been selling, you know, 35% to a dozens of people. That's right. I, I oh, learned that, that from Whitey Bulger. <laughs> is, that the, is that the producer's joke again? <laughs> yeah. All right. So so we've got the FBI who's in uh, Whitey Bulger, had them in their pocket. You've got George who uh, is a man of means 
and by no means Mean king of the road. <laughs> and and and, uh, um, uh, and and then let me ask you something because we've got your husband who I, I through implication is an ex. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay, and he's an ex because. If I may ask and be so personal. He is an ex because I had discovered a letter written by my daughter uh, that made the allegations of sexual abuse against him. And as any good parent, I tried to uh, stand up and protect my child, get to an understanding of what was going on. Um, they didn't like that. And I they found meaning they meaning the entire Webster family. And uh, they very much manipulated counselors out here that I was trying to work with. I was chastised for going to the police and filing a report. Uh, this family pretty much put me through a CIA breakdown. Your daughter, um, this is a tough question. She was telling the truth? She wrote a letter to God, and uh, all of the indicators are there that uh, that's precisely what happened. The behaviors are consistent with it. And my daughter lied under oath uh, in a court of law in a contempt hearing against my ex-husband about writing that letter. Plenty of people can authenticate the letter and the implications in it. How old was she at the time? She was 12 when I found the letter. Um, I'm sure that the time frame was about right for when it was written. Mm -hmm. And how old is she now? She is uh, 26. Mm-hmm. Do you have any contact with her? I have very little contact with my children. Occasionally, I have gotten emails from what, them. What uh, is because the, uh, help me out on this? Because the father bought them off. Absolutely, uh, my my children have been indulged. Uh, he's an enabler. Uh, they got new cars when they turned 21. They got six-figure bank accounts. Um, they've made it very comfortable. They had all the trappings to, you know, turn on mom. And, uh, keep well, the there was an entire together. campaign of Turn On Mom. Everything from you being drugged and tied up and uh, bound yep. with duct tape and God knows what else. Yep, yep. Now, this I is not put- uncommon. Uh, <laughs> sad to say, there is a syndrome that doesn't have a name uh, that needs one. How about the Uncle Crazy You're, uh, No, not the Uncle Crazy syndrome. The Uncle Crazy. Now, here, here's how it works. An individual such as yourself, and we've, I've had uh, some other people on the show and some people I know personally in a similar situation, who unravel a situation, find the documentation for a tragic situation, and try to convince people or let them know the truth of a situation. And the more they do so, and the more they investigate, the more obsessive they appear, and they are portrayed as being nuts. And, yep. the, and being portrayed as being nuts practically makes them nuts as they become more insistent upon the truth, and their mere insistence validates, supposedly, the fact that they're nuts. But they're not. No. But it can drive them nuts. <laughs> there are days, there are days, I pull my hair out going, I'm looking at documents in black and white. What is it that you don't see? Oh, they see it. They see sure. it. Of course they see it. But what it boils down to is, forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Yeah. Yeah, you're exactly okay. right. Let me give an illustration. It's a good way. I've got a family, an ex-family that runs around and tries to call me crazy and delusional and evil. Uh, one prime example is it really demonstrates, you know, who's really telling the truth and what's going on. There was an extortion incident uh, during Joan's disappearance about a year into the case. And it was never reported in the media. It was, it's never been talked about in any of the other books that have discussed Joan's case, and there have been several. The extortion incident, I remembered as part of the immediate family, pretty dramatic event. <clears throat> An individual had uh, called the Websters, uh, tried to extort them for money, told them that uh, Joan was in Boston. George Webster took the ITT corporate jet with the FBI, flew up to New Hampshire, was wired in a car, and uh, drove down to Massachusetts to a bogus address. The guy was never arrested. I remembered that as part of the immediate family. When I was able to recover uh, documentation of that incident in FBI files and police reports in New Jersey, my brother called my ex-husband, Joan's brother, and he denied it, said nothing like that ever remotely happened. 
implicating that I'm crazy and delusional. However, you have the documentation. I have the documentation. See, that's the problem. You keep coming up with facts. It just really upsets people. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. I'm upsetting a lot of people. They want me to shut up, and I'm just not going to do it. Yeah, well, that could be the death of you, my dear. Well, well, my my question to you is, uh, so you're never going to let it go. I've got children involved here. Yeah, but they, they they don't want to talk to you. Yeah, and gonna, I understand that. How are you going to win him back? I'm not, I'm not pressing you up against the wall. Please don't take it that oh, way. Oh, yeah. No, I don't. Um, I look at, let me tell you, I, I saw a quote uh, posted not very long ago that I think is very true. It says, a worried mother can investigate better than the FBI. And let me tell you, that is a fact. I'm concerned for their safety. I am very well aware now of what this family is capable of. My children need the safety and security of being able to be who they are, be honest, be truthful, have healthy relationships, even if they don't talk to me. Uh, that doesn't change a mother's desire to protect her children. So you've got a daughter at 26. What else do you I've got another daughter who is 28. Mm-hmm. Two, two girls. But they just despised you, more or less, for quite a yeah. while. They turned their rage on me, which is not unusual for abuse victims of that nature. Yeah, I mean, it's almost textbook. If they started yeah, up a life, it is of, textbook. If they started up a life of their own, I've got an older daughter who is in law school, which is terrific. Uh, my youngest daughter, uh, I'm not even sure where she is. Uh, I know she's graduated uh, with honors from Yale University. She's, they're both extremely bright girls, but uh, also have some very poor coping skills. Very poor coping skills. It's a good thing you're as strong as you are. I grew up in the Midwest. I've got a solid core. I've got a blood family that uh, even when they couldn't understand all of this, they stood behind me because they know who I am as a person. How would you get involved with uh, your husband? Where would that happen? Um, I met him in 1977 uh, here in Indianapolis, uh, kind of a blind date weekend over New Year's. Very Charming, entertaining, fun. People like the Websters. They gravitate to them. They are very charismatic. Uh, but uh, there's, there's some hidden things there and pieces that I couldn't put my finger on. I didn't really understand. They're very emotionally disconnected. Uh, they're very narcissistic. Uh, they are enabling uh, to people. They want to please everybody. But you didn't see any of this before you married him? I, I saw certain things but didn't understand it. Thought it was the Didn't understand it or, or didn't want to believe it? I, I didn't understand it. I thought there was an immaturity level. Uh, I thought that there was perhaps, uh, you know, being spoiled. You know, they came from a privileged background, very spoiled. In my mind, I could not put those pieces together. You see, and even if they hadn't been privileged, if they, even if they hadn't been spoiled, if the behavior of the family is that which we are alleging or assuming or whatever, uh, the same exact same patterns uh, transpire even if they had been poor. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. There's no question I mean, about that. Everything you were describing about how the family behaved, how you were regarded, uh, the distancing, the emotional disconnect, uh, all that stuff, and almost the involuntary participation in things that they may find repellent personally, but just yeah. it's just part of the way things are that we don't talk about, is stereotyp- tragically stereotypical. Yeah, this, I mean, this, this is, as you said earlier, it's textbook. It's textbook. So when all is said and done, a hundred years from now, no one will know the difference, except this thing just keeps perpetuating. Uh, if your if your children have managed to get any sort of actual counseling, any therapy, or work through this, uh, maybe everything will be much better for the for their kids. I I hope so. You know, I pray that they do. At this point, they have not had the kind of counseling that they need, and I know that just by information I've been provided along the way. Have you? Have uh, have you? Have I? Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. Matter of fact, uh, as the family kept trying to label me as crazy and nuts, uh, I hit a point as I started to go through documents really seeing what actually had transpired. uh, I hit a point where I could not sleep at night. So I went and I uh, met with a, you know, trained a uh, medical professional who does evaluations. I'm rock solid. There's nothing wrong with me. See, that's why you're sleeping at night now? Yeah. Well, you know, enough smack Well, there's, a, there's an old <laughs> saying that if you're crazy, sleeping is easy. Yeah, yeah. I think that's true. <laughs> I've never heard that. 
Well, you just made it up. That's correct. Say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because Mark's very good at it, that. It was fairly, uh, it was fairly not profound. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so now that you, there, no, there's other books on this case. The one that really aggravates you is the one that the uh, was it the prosecutor put together. This this BS. Is, well, yeah, former assistant district attorney who was assigned to this came out with a book in 2008, and it was that book and the family publicly coming out with uh, their support of the book that just uh, you know really triggered me being able to dig into this and pick it apart line by line. Uh, his name is Tim Burke. And he wrote a book very graphically describing my sister-in-law being murdered on a boat by Leonard Paradiso. When the boat didn't exist then. The, the boat did not exist. It was, and, uh, it was at the bottom of the... Yeah, it was 35 feet underwater uh, four months before my sister-in-law disappeared. It had a broken rudder. Leonard Paradiso sunk it himself. All the testimony uh, supported that. It was reported. Insurance claim was paid before Joan even disappeared. Uh, the boat did not exist, and that is in court records right in front of their faces. And uh, they continue to perpetuate the story and just kind of elaborate and try to make the pieces fit. It's full. Because if they, get, if they wait long enough, no one will care. Yeah, and that's the hope. You, you tell the story often enough. He's got uh, his armies and battalions out there circling the wagons, uh, trying to prevent things from coming out, and once again labeling me in terrible ways and destructive ways. Um, yeah. well, you know, the the bottom line when all said and done is you have done what you needed to do. You've yeah. done the research. It's all there in black and white. You put it in the book. Yep. Uh, and although you do go off on some side tangents that I know you feel were relevant and justified for the average reader, they may just have to, you know, <laughs> they make it a little more difficult to cut to the chase, but everything is interrelated. Yeah. Uh, now that you have done what you had to do for your own peace of mind and to get reality out there so people could see it if they want to look at reality, are you... Are you able now, aside from promoting the book, which is called uh, Mommy's a Mole by Eve Carson, that you should get immediately by instant download or by paperback or whatever from your favorite bookseller or even a bookseller you don't particularly care for, <laughs> <laughs> just as long as you get the book. You can read for yourself the complete documentation and draw your own conclusions. And those conclusions will not be what, what the story that's been sold uh, you know, for, for years now. Now that you have done this, are you able to go, okay, I did my job? I'm able to, uh, I am at peace with myself. I've done everything I humanly can to, uh, you know, bring awareness out here, tell my children the truth, um, you know, give them the tools. They are going to have to make the choices for themselves uh, to heal. That's something they're going to have to do. I have. Um, I'm an honest person. I've got a backbone. I'm not afraid to tell the truth. I'm just plain not afraid to tell the truth. But I knew in a situation like this, I certainly had to have the documentation to back me up. Now, is there any possibility that anyone is going to follow up on, on all the stuff you've revealed? Or is it just going to go out there and... I hope that's not the case. I have uh, certainly, and I still continue to try to put this in front of proper authorities. One individual I contacted, this is the type of reaction I get because they do circle the wagons and protect their own, uh, but I contacted uh, Special Agent Michael Carraza. He is in the Boston office, uh, the Public Corruption Unit, and his explanation to me about Tim Burke's book is that it was there were editorial mistakes made. You know, it was poor editing, and I'm like, no, not no, really. No, not, not, not if really. If complete editing, the book would be here. empty. <laughs> yeah, he's he's pretty graphic here. Um, you know, he indicated to me that had he gotten the case, the first place he would look uh, would be to investigate a family. I mean, that's true in any case. That's you know, you have to eliminate the most logical. Close Especially if the father gives a BS answer as to why she left, that he happens to leave town at that same time. Yeah, yeah. They don't want to pay attention. But I, but I will say, this case was extremely dissected. This case, I found files all over the place and really had to pull the information together. I really had to collect it and hunt it down. Um, I, I found r letters written by George Webster in the Zodiac file, you know, that had been released by the FBI. I mean, just 
things were everywhere. The composite I found in New Jersey police reports. Um, Tim Burke, when he left the DA's office in 1985, he took a carton of files with him. So Lord knows what's, you know, complete or what's missing uh, in the current files that are held in Essex County, Massachusetts. What's he been doing for the last 30 years except writing a book? He is a defense attorney. And uh, he uh, definitely likes to uh, get his name in the news. Anytime he can attach his name to something celeb, he does. Good for him. So you sat down and talked to him and said, hey, listen, here's this material. Let's cut the BS. You and I both know that this isn't what happened. He will not look me in the face. He does not respond to things. I went to his first book signing when his book first came out. I had tried to contact him. You know, here he won't talk to a member of Jones and Media family. And, uh, no, he, he couldn't even look at me. He's, he knows he's lying. And he knows that I've got the documents. How many people know the real story here? I don't know. I don't know. I, it was important for me to document it and put it in writing to bring awareness to this case. I would say that the authorities out there certainly know that what they get behind and support uh, visibly to the public, they know it's bullshit. They know that it is not. Right. You, know, you, you can't murder somebody on a boat that doesn't exist. You can't do it. No, it's been tried before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't work very well. <laughs> Well, well, hoist that yard arm. Uh, Trim that sail. We're going to take a 60-second break. We'll be right back with Eve Carson, author of Mommy's a Mole. Hi, this is Frank Hagen, the gay guy from Outlaw Radio. If you're on a cell phone... And I know you do because you probably got Grinder on there. But it's time for you to add another app. That app would be for Outlaw Radio through the courtesy of RadioLoyalty.com. My suggestion is that you upload that app for free, mind you. Yes, totally free app. In order to be able to listen to us, the Demons of Decadence, every Saturday afternoon from 3 to 6 Pacific Standard Time or Pacific Daylight Time. And you'll have the opportunity to listen to us smoke, drink, and interrupt each other, which we do a really good job of doing. So once again, RadioLoyalty.com to pick up your free app of Outlaw Radio. Once again, this is Frank. So get off a grinder and get on to Outlaw. Nice. Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Ah, hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am the legendary Burl Bearer. I write true crime books in my spare time, and I host True Crime Uncensored at Outlaw Radio, produced by Magic Matt Allen. My co-hosts are Howard Lapidus, manager of the star, Mark C.G. Boyer, our fact checker. And boy, they've investigated this case. How are you saying you remember the uh, the billboards up there? I, I, I mentioned this to uh, uh, my uh, soon-to-be ex-spousal equivalent. I don't know. <laughs> we kid. Uh, she grew up in Boston and uh, left in 86. So she was there during this period of time and remembers, uh, when I was discussing the case with her this morning, uh, remembers billboards on both sides of Logan Airport. Looking for your sister-in-law. Oh, absolutely! This this was a high, you know, visibility case, and but, but extremely see, sensational in Boston. And I had uh, certainly my a great deal of time and lived there. Uh, and then, uh, you know, my kids' grandparents lived there. So it's it's. Uh, I'm very familiar with Boston. I'm very familiar with the places that this case took place. And one thing I learned about Boston a long time ago is they figured out how to put things seemingly in front of you. While they're very, very accurately sweeping it under the carpet. You got that right. And I think that that's probably, you know, no different in this case. My, my question is, how, why, how many books have been written about this particular case? Let's I mean, see. Obviously um, yours and then uh, Burke, but uh, who else? Anybody else? Uh, this was written about in Times 17 by Gareth Penn. Uh, Gareth Penn had a theory that a Harvard professor was the Zodiac murderer and uh, tried to tie Jones' case into that, and his book was just absolutely full of his contacts with the Webster family, et cetera, and going off on that tangent. 
Uh, another book that discusses this case was a book called Trooper, which was written by Dave Moran, who happened to have been a Massachusetts state trooper at the time and involved in a couple different aspects of this case. Was his material close? Oh, are you... Uh... His material... Um, no, he was a close friend of Andrew Palumbo, lead officer on this case, and Palumbo got him to be involved in the dive team that went down and finally recovered uh, the missing boat. Uh, he was also involved in a search of a home under a warrant for the other murder that got tied into Jones' case, the 1979 murder. Where and that, they, uh, that was crucial because the, yeah. the, the planted evidence... Oh, absolutely. And proximity to your uh, sister-in-law's artifacts. Oh, you know, her artifacts were spread all over the place. Uh, her suit, her purse and wallet were found in the Mog- in the uh, Saugus Marsh area uh, along Route 107, and that was where the body of the 1979 victim had been found a couple years before. Not right next to each other, but in the vicinity. So they tied that in. Uh, her suitcase was found uh, in a Greyhound bus station locker. Now, interesting uh, discrepancy, though, is it was widely reported it was found in the uh, Greyhound Park Square station in Boston. And that's not what came out in Burke's book. Uh, he said that the bag was found in uh, New York City. So, I mean, that's Consider, a considerable <laughs> a distance. distance. Yeah, it's, it's a big discrepancy. He also comes out and says that uh, in the evidence room, they had a pair of my sister-in-law's gray shoes in her suitcase. Um, that's not the case. There were no shoes in her suitcase. I've got that in FBI reports. Uh, so where did those shoes come from? The only item they did not recover was a tote bag, and it was listed that shoes had been in that. So you, you got some... Serious issues that really point to authorities not only being involved, but also the Webster family. Eve, when did you when did you make your turn against the entire family based on the letter that you found that your daughter wrote about your ex-husband? You know, I didn't turn on the family. I tried to work properly with proper counselors to get to uh, the true understanding of you know what does my child mean, what is going on here. Uh, the family really were the ones that turned on me. I'm not that kind of person. Um, you know, if, if I were to find out to this day that the Websters had been lied to by authorities, I'd support them with the documents. I'd do that for Joan, and I would do that for my girls. But, uh, you know, they're not telling the truth, and that's just, you know. Well, I'm, they also, not... they, they come from, there's two, two secrecy factors at work. One is if you're in a family where there is uh, uh, incest, everything's based on secrecy. You bet. If you come from a culture of the Central Intelligence Agency, everything is based on appearances and secrecy. That's right. And so you put the two together, what do you got? Bibbidi bobbidi boo. <laughs> What's you this? got a big problem. You got a big problem. You know, you're not going to get transparency, uh, you know, when you got that much uh, stuff to hide. So yeah. how, how, old, how old is George? George is 87, and uh, he lives in a retirement community. He is fully aware of this book. Uh, I have emailed him periodically in a very respectful tone uh, to indicate the discrepancies that I'm finding in the record. Uh, And as of Christmas 2012, Christmas night, he emailed back a very vulgar, uh, devaluing uh, response, and at the bottom of it, he wished me to die. So it's a pretty uh, very pleasant uh, holiday greeting. Holiday greeting. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, and then your husband, ex-husband, where where is he now? He is still in the Indianapolis area, um, and uh, still charming and uh, playing tennis and putting forward the image. Well, good for him. Does he yeah. work, does he work or need to work? Yes, he is a financial planner. Was uh, one of the. Major you have him handling your finances. Uh, no, <laughs> no, he is not. No. What do you do for a living? Uh, I work in the publishing industry. Oh, that must be a big thrill for you these days. Yeah, it, <laughs> it is. It's uh, it's actually pretty exciting. Get to talk to a lot of exciting people. Like Burl Bear. Like me. Like Burl Bear. That's as. exactly yeah. right. Yeah, what a thrill that is. Oh, wait, for my, wait, wait for my book to come out. Then. Oh, the one there that you're you never going to write? The one I'm never going to write. 
go ahead. Tell her the title of the book you're never going to write. Oh, that one? Yeah. Um, my 89 Days with Paula Abdul. Oh, my. Isn't that a great well, title? That's a great title. You think that'll sell? You're in the business, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. That, so that sells? We'll get the marketing. We'll get it going. Okay. Oh, I just have to get them to write it. Well, <laughs> you've you got to do that first. But the problem is, is I, I can't give up the ghost on anybody. Well, she wasn't a real client. She didn't sign anything. She didn't sign anything, nor did she ever pay me for my work. So <laughs> I think I got her by the short hairs, as they say. Yeah, but, I think you could go ahead and do the book. But I don't want anybody else to think that, that uh, you know, people that are, have been that with trust my, you, yeah. and they've trusted me for uh, decades on end that I would sell them out anyway. So it's not worth it to me. Just have it write it and have it published after you're dead. Yeah. That could be any Oh, thanks a lot, guys. I get to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I'll handle it for you when you're gone. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sure you will. <laughs> yeah, the least I could do it. I always do. Yes, the least do. I the least can you do. could possibly do. So what now, now that you've got this uh, show, is it out of your system or out in the public? Mommy's a mole, which is, a, she's the mommy, she's the mole, just in case you're wondering what that's about. Uh, but now that you've done this, uh, what are you going to do now? Just go back to work and figure and detach? Well, I'm, I'm certainly I am uh, fully engaged in trying to be very productive, very positive person. Uh, you know, enjoy aspects of my life that I can. Certainly, I would love to be able to reconnect with my children. I don't know whether that will ever happen. Uh, they can't when they've got the burden of family secrets on their shoulder. That's for sure. Uh, but yeah, but they know, know. Hang on a second. They know the truth. Yeah, they know the truth. They absolutely know so, the truth. So, so they're, they're still knowing the truth. They'll still side with the family and sell out their... That family. is not unusual. Well, no. Okay, I, I, I know that. I'm asking our guest. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not unusual, and I do understand it. I understand uh, what they came to fear in me, and that's mom's got a big mouth, mom's got a backbone. I'm a whistleblower. Uh, Mom wasn't going to hide the secrets. Dad was going to get in trouble. We're going to lose all the perks, and they've got an image they've got to uphold. Did you um, have you re- kind of restarted your life in another direction, or are you still? I, I did. I restarted my life in a different direction. I'm renovating an old house, and you know, I'm I'm fully engaged. There are a lot of positive things. Well, I like I'll, to do. I'll share something with you that may give you some degree of hope. Uh, this is not to promote my book, but to really give you a story from it. Yeah. In that family, there were nine children, and they were all screwed up. All of them either married a child, not all, but almost all of them either married a child and molester, were a child molester, married a murderer, or were a murderer. And I interviewed uh, all the kids, and uh, at the last minute, none of them would come forward except the eldest daughter, who said, I have to be honest, I have to own my life. And she called up her brothers and said, you know, it's your life. If you won't own it and cop to it, I'm going to tell the whole story myself because I have to be honest with who I am and what my life was to help others. Eve, it was a real pleasure having you here. Thank you. Yeah, good Mommy's morning. a mole. Get the book, read the book, believe the book. Thank you so much, Eve Carson. Thank you. Hey, uh, Pearl? Yeah. What's next? I think it's Magic Matt Allen and the Demons of Decadence live with the Light in the Blounds in the Hills of Encino. You know Encino. That's where we're in the street of nature. We're hand in hand. Hills and Decadence.